Welcome to the Attracting Lasting Love podcast presented by CoachingWithRoy.com. You've found the place where single adults come for mindful wisdom and insight into how to attract and create healthy, lasting, conscious relationships. And now, here's your host, the owner of CoachingWithRoy.com, number one best-selling author, certified relationship coach, and TV analyst, Roy Biancalana. Well, hello, and welcome to a very special edition of the Attracting Lasting Love podcast. My name is Roy Biancolana, and this episode is special for two reasons. First, it is my 100th episode. Woohoo! It's amazing to think about that I've been creating this podcast, the weekly podcast, now a hundred weeks in a row, and I have no plans on stopping. So, I'm glad you're along for the ride. I certainly hope that you have grown and benefited from what you've listened here. I certainly hope you've shared this podcast with other people on your social media platforms or just individually with friends if it's meant something to you. So yes, it's the 100th episode. But the second reason this is a special edition is that this is the Groundhog Day edition of the Attracting Lasting Love podcast. Now, I know Groundhog Day was a couple days ago. This podcast is dropping around February 7th. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the Groundhog Day thing to communicate some, I think, hopefully some very powerful, very interesting things for you to consider about yourself that will help you in your pursuit, your pursuit of intimacy, right? Now, as I talk about Groundhog Day, it's going to be surprising in a couple of ways. The first is I'm actually not going to talk about the Groundhog Day in the ways I normally do, right? If you follow me and have read any of my books and follow this podcast, you know, I talk about what's called the the relationship groundhog day syndrome. You know, it's the the tendency to attract the same types of people or the same patterns and problems and pain over and over and over again. You know, like the movie Groundhog Day, right? I talk a lot about that. And the first surprising thing about this episode is I'm not going to talk about that as you 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 might expect. I'm going to I'm going to go a little different direction with the whole Groundhog Day thing. And then the second surprising thing about this episode is, you know, based on the title, you know, Did You See Your Shadow? What We Can Learn from Puxatawney Phil, you know, that groundhog rodent up there in Pennsylvania. (laughs) You might think this is going to be a lighthearted, you know, um, not too deep, not too challenging podcast. You might, this, this might be an easy one. This one might be, you know, uh, like a Mick light, a Mick light podcast. No, no, no. It's going to be actually one of the deepest, most challenging podcasts that maybe I've ever done because we are going to explore your shadow and my shadow. And I'm going to get into some depth as to what that means I'm going to set some context about it. I'm going to help you I'm going to help you 
see your shadow because most of us, we wake up every day like Poxidoni Phil and we don't see our shadow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so let me just back up a bit and set a little bit of context. So I'm actually recording this before the actual Groundhog Day, before February 2nd. And so I don't know what the damn rodent is going to see, you know, four or five days ago when you're listening to this. I don't know if he sees the shadow or not. And I don't know if he sees the shadow, if that means it's, you know, six more weeks of winter or if it means, you know, winter is coming or spring is coming sooner. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't really care about the damn rodent. Okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't really care about Puxatoni Phil, but I do care about this idea of the shadow. And so we're going to use that because if you don't see your shadow, you are in for a lot longer winter in terms of staying single than you might ever want to be. Like if you don't know your shadow, if you don't see your shadow, you're going to be in winter perpetually, right? You're, you're going to sabotage your love life. You're going to sabotage all different kinds of relationships in your life. And you're, you're just going to stay stuck. But if you, if you can wake up and see your shadow, Okay, if you see your shadow, then some springtime is coming your way. You're going to be much more successful in all of your relationships and especially your intimate relationships. Okay, all right. Does that wet your wet your whistle a little bit? Uh, by the way, I don't even know what that phrase means. Where's that come from? But anyway, it just came out of my mouth. So there you go. So hopefully you're prepared for this. Um, and I've set the context a little bit. And now what I want to do is I want to start going into this deeper discussion. And, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you know, with any regularity, you must be a person who really enjoys the personal growth conversation that you must be interested in personal development and learning, maybe even kind of an interest in psychology, in human behavior, right? Just kind of understanding yourself, understanding relationships and and people and, and all those things. I, I, I don't know if you could be a regular listener of this podcast and not have a genuine interest in that kind of thing. And that's a good thing because you're going to need all of your interest in understanding yourself and relationships and psychology and personal development, you're going to need all of that to keep up with what this is going to, what I'm going to share today. Okay. So I want to set a stage a little bit for the human condition. Okay. This applies to everybody. It, and it's, it's just a part of what it means to be human it's a part of what it means to, to grow up and be raised as a child and in early adolescence and teenage years and into adulthood. There, there are some things that we're all doing, whether you spot it and sort of know it or not. But there, there are some real themes going on 
in all of our development from from birth through you know early adulthood and basically there is this hunger there is this desire as a little person and as you grow there's this there's this hunger to feel special like there's there's a desire when you're little first of all to survive right there's you you want to survive you want to be safe you want to be taken care of you you want to be loved you want to be you know all the attachment theory stuff that you hear about is basically connected to the survival mechanism right it, if you have healthy attachment to your early caregivers, then you, you grow up a little bit more psychologically healthy because you've attached to your parents, you feel safe, you feel seen, you feel love, you feel valued, you feel like you're worthy of attention, right? And you, you feel loved, you feel safe, you feel seen, right? And so you have a, a healthy sort of attachment style, now, if you have difficulty connecting with your your primary caregivers, if you don't feel, you know, very connected, you grow up with an anxious attachment style, meaning you're you're really seeking attachment because you've you have felt sort of abandoned or disconnected through your real formative years. Do you follow me? And so then you're growing up and now you know, you've got this sort of unconscious desire or push to, I want to connect with someone because I feel safe. I, I, I want to feel wanted. I want to feel seen. I want to feel desired um, because I didn't feel that as a little person, right? Conversely, you can grow up with what is called the avoidant attachment style that usually comes that when you're raised by your primary caregivers, they are smothering. They are sort of controlling. They dominate your life, right? They're all over you. You don't get to individuate. You don't get to have your own feelings. You don't get to do things your way. You're sort of smothered and dominated. And so when you're coming out of that childhood, again, this is all because you want to survive, is like you grow up having a little bit of fearing of intimacy. You, you're, you're more commitment phobic. You're afraid of intimacy because your early impressions as a child, which you might not even consciously remember a ton of, but it's in your body that you see relationship as some sort of threat to your safety, your autonomy, your well-being, right? So I just say all of that to help you sort of get your head around the unbelievably important things that are happening in our childhoods as we grow up and what that environment is like. Because as a little person, right, you're born into the world and you can't take care of yourself, right? You can't feed yourself. You can't clothe yourself. You can't move around. You can't wipe your own butt, right? You are completely dependent that your needs will be met and you can't do anything about it. So that 
that can be sort of a frightening thing, even though you're an infant and you have no conscious, you know, awareness or memory of this, that is sort of what's going on. So we grow up with this hunger and this fear. We want to be safe. And also we want to have our needs satisfied, right? We, we have needs as little people, as adolescents and teenagers, and still as adults, we have needs and we want those needs to be satisfied, right? So these are incredible, you know, impulses that every human being has the need to be safe and to survive the need to have your need, your needs met to have your needs satisfied. And then there's this desire to succeed in order, in other words, to do something, be something that sort of gets you noticed. It makes you feel, you want to feel special you want to feel um, that people notice you. They, they, you get approval, applause, recognition, right? You know, who can't imagine the little two-year-old or three-year-old that might be at the park or even I remember my little kids swinging a golf club. In fact, just a memory popped in my head. There's a little video of me swinging a golf club when I was about three years old. I actually had a really good golf swing at three. So I, there's some just a natural thing I've had with golf. You know, who knows where that comes from, but I was just born with a great swing when I was three, okay? I mean, really, technically nearly perfect at three years old. But I've seen some video of, of me that my dad was taking, you know, some old, you know, old camera back, at, you know, when I was three, it was 1963, so um, very ancient video camera, but you could see my lips. I'm not sure if there's audio or not, but you could see me saying, watch daddy, watch daddy, right? Have you been around little kids? Have you had your own little kids? They want you to notice them, to see them do something, a dance step, or they're playing with blocks. Watch daddy, watch mommy, 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 watch me, watch me, watch, right? There's this... They want to succeed. They want to be seen. They want to be valued. They, they want to be appreciated. They want approval. Do you get that? So these three needs, security, success, and to have your needs satisfied is what drives the human condition. And I would suggest to you that they still drive your life today. You're really not that different than you were when you were two years old. You still obsess about surviving. <laughs> you do. So do I. You still have lots of thoughts about, am I going to get my needs met? Am I going to be taken care of? Am I going to be okay? If I meet a partner, am I going to get my emotional needs met and so forth, right? And you still want to succeed. You still want people to notice you and value you and see that you're special and you you still want to offer who you are to the world and have it be received and appreciated right so these are these it's just this is just what it means to be human okay now what i'm what i'm telling you and any psychologist at all even not even a good psychologist is going is going to agree with this 
is that those needs are so damn powerful that you will do anything you have to do in order to have them met. You will do anything, whether you consciously choose it or unconsciously, but you will do anything to feel safe and to survive. You will do anything to get your needs met and you will do anything to succeed or to gain approval, to be seen, right? So much so that if, if you need to be someone you're not, if, if you need to play a role, if you need to act a part, if you need to become someone that maybe is not authentic to you, but if you feel like who I am in my authenticity, and again, this is all unconscious. This is happening before you're five years old, okay? It continues through your adolescence and your adulthood, but it's really in the formative years that this stuff starts happening, okay? And you're really not even aware of it. There's just a sense of, I don't feel safe. Um, I don't know if my needs are going to get met. I don't know if I'm going to feel successful and appreciated. And I need that so bad that who do I need to become in order to get that? Forget about my authentic self, whatever that is. What kind of little boy or little girl do I need to be to get mommy and daddy to see me, to pay attention, to meet my needs, to feel safe, to feel noticed, and to attach in proper ways? Who do I need to become? What kind of little boy or girl do I need to be? Now, that effort to become something, to, to add something to yourself, right? That is called a persona. You are adopting a role. You're, be, you're playing a role. You're putting on a face. You're, you're, you're animating a, pers- a persona. You're becoming someone because you're afraid that if you don't, you won't survive, you, your, your needs won't be satisfied, and you won't be seen, and you won't be a success. You won't, you won't get what you want, okay? So on the one side of the equation, in order to have those basic needs met, you will become and sort of add something onto you. You'll become whatever you need to become in order to feel those things. But here's where the shadow comes in. Not only will you become something that you feel you need to be in your family of origin, in your environment. Okay, my family values this. My family values intelligence and smarts and studies. And you might be musical or athletic and not that interested, you know, in scholastics and all that kind of stuff. But for you to survive in your family, you're going to become a bookworm, right? It's not maybe where your heart is most bent, but you know that I've got to become a bookworm. I, 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 need, I need to become that little boy or girl to, 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 to not be rejected in my family, right? To feel safe, to feel connected and, and all that. And the opposites can be true too. 
your family, you know, you might be a little girl growing up in a family that is real sports oriented. And, you know, you want to be daddy's little girl. But authentically, you might not be interested in sports. But if you, it's, it's almost like I want daddy to love me and I want to connect with daddy. I want to be daddy's little girl. So I guess I'm going to become a sports girl. I'm going to take on this role of this persona, become a tomboy in some, some way, shape, or form, right? Because that's who I needed to be in my childhood in order to survive and to get my needs met and to kind of be seen and be successful. So that's adding on a persona. That's becoming someone that you're not. But conversely, you will also cut away the parts of you that don't or hinder you from getting those needs met. In other words, if you're a certain kind of little boy or girl and and those personality traits, those interests, those passions, those desires are not valued in your family, they, they're not okay. Um, when, when you embody those, you, you don't feel safe. You don't feel like your needs will be met. You might get punished. You might get rejected. You might get beat. You might get sneered at. You might just get a lack of approval. You won't feel like I'm seen and successful here. And so what you will do is you will cut away those parts of yourself. You will disown those parts of yourself in order to have those basic needs met. So do you, do you get what I'm talking about? Through your childhood, there is an addition and subtraction thing going on. You are so desperate to feel loved and to attach and to have your needs met and feel seen and, and to survive that you will add on what you need to add on and you will cut away and subtract what you need to get rid of in order to fit in, in order to feel love and attention and appreciation and not rejection and not feel isolated and, you know, uh, not wanted. So you will put on a persona and you will take parts of yourself and disown it. You'll push it out. You'll push it away. You'll push it into the background. That's what psychology calls your shadow. It's the disowned part of you. Okay? It's the part that you don't like. See, because at an early age, you don't have the ability to say to your family of origin, you guys are effed up. This is a beautiful part of me. I honor this part of me. I love this part of me. And if you don't, that's on you. You got, you got some hang up, but I am not going to cut away a part of my soul just to get you to love me, right? You, you don't have the ability to do that when you're four, five, six, seven years old, <laughs> okay? <laughs> you just don't. And you don't even know you're doing it. You just know that, man, to, to fit in around here, uh, I, I can't be that person. I can't show that attitude. I can't have, you know, these desires or these kind of interests, right? So you're you're going to disown parts of yourself. But here's the kicker. 
You don't even know you're doing it. You don't know. Just like you don't know that you have developed personas. You don't know that you've developed these fear-based ways of being that you feel like if I'm this kind of little boy or girl, I I get love and attention. So you've heard me talk about my my personas as Roy the Rescuer, right? I, there's a couple different ways I describe my personas. Um, I got noticed for athletic performance um, and my relationship with my mother was such that when I made my life be about taking care of her, I felt attached, right? I felt my attachment needs would be met if I was unselfish and I just sort of wanted to make mommy happy and do things she wanted and kind of forget about what I needed or my desires. It was, if, if mama's happy, then everybody's happy, right? And so I, I developed this persona of Roy the Rescuer, where it's sort of like, well, this is the way that I get close to women. I make my life be about taking care of theirs, right? So I took that relationship with my mother. I didn't know I was doing this as a little boy. It's just the little boy I needed to be if I wanted to be close to my mom. And what little boy doesn't want to be close to his mother, for God's sakes, right? But I didn't know I was doing it. But later on in life, you know, here I am relating with women and my whole way of relating with women to get their attention and affection was to make my life be about taking care of them. And I call that Roy the Rescuer. I overfunctioned. I avoided whatever thoughts or interests or desires I had and made my life be about what do you need, baby? And if, if I was a really good boyfriend, then maybe you will like me. Maybe you will want me and you'll want to touch me and be with me. You see, so I'm, I'm playing out my mommy issue. That's my persona, okay? But we don't talk much about the other half, which is what we're doing now, is that we also have subtraction going on. We, we will subtract the parts of us that maybe mommy and daddy don't like or our early childhood environment doesn't value and actually gets us in trouble. And so we disown those parts of ourselves, but they don't go away. They just get kind of buried in the basement. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just, you take that dead body and you bury it in the basement. So it, it doesn't go away. You just bury it in your unconscious. You, you bury it within you. It's still there. Okay. And it doesn't want to stay buried because it's a part of your authentic self. But because you don't like it, because nobody else liked it, that's what, that was my point. When you're little, other people don't like it, and you just assume, yeah, well, that must be a bad part of me. That must not be okay. I really do have to get rid of that, because they don't like it, so I don't like it, and then you, you bury it. So you disown it, and you push it away, and you don't like that part of yourself. Okay, so do you see the human condition? You're growing up and you just want to survive. You want to have your needs satisfied. You want to be successful. You want to be seen. You want to be valued. And this project starts to happen in any little child. Who do I need to become? 
to get those needs met? And who, what part of me do I need to hide or to kind of X out of my awareness or disown or cut off in order to get those needs met? So it's addition and subtraction. So this subtraction part is what I want to focus on. And I want to give you a little illustration of this, just to give you the graphic nature of this, because this is what you and I have done in our lives. Are you familiar with the story of Aaron Ralston? I've written about it in my first book. Perhaps you saw his life story told in the movie 127 Hours. Okay. Um, This is a story about a guy who went like canyoneering. He, He went kind of rock climbing and scaling rock faces in Blue John Canyon in Utah. Went all by himself. You know, just go out in the wilderness out there by yourself and and just, you know, rappel down cliffs and mountain climbing and just having a ball, right? Well, as he was doing that, as the story goes, and this is a true story, by the way, uh, an 800-pound rock kind of dislodged and shifted and it trapped against his arm. He got his arm caught between the cliffside and the rock. And he spent five days trying to get himself out. Now he's all by himself, middle of nowhere. There's nobody else around. He couldn't get it. There was no cell phone coverage because he was middle of nowhere. And this is probably, I think, 20 years ago. So cell phones were really primitive back then. So he is so desperate to survive that believe it or not, he puts a tourniquet on his arm and with like a just like a little pocket knife, he saws his arm off just below the elbow. He cuts through both of the bones in the forearm and all the flesh. Of course, no anesthesia, no painkiller. He just tied a tourniquet around his arm so he wouldn't bleed out and he cut off his own arm to save his life. What I'm telling you is you and I and all of us are Aaron Ralston in a psychological way. We so much want to survive and get these needs met that we will cut off a part of who we are in order to make that happen. Follow me? Now, I am maintaining that you have a lot of qualities that are intrinsic to who you are that you have disowned and you're not aware of. That for you to be psychologically whole and complete and healthy, you need to reattach your arm, right? You you need to recover the parts of you that you have deleted out of your awareness and buried in the basement. You need to dig that stuff up and get those things back out of the shadow and bring them back into your life, back into your awareness, right? So just as with your persona, you need to notice what roles you've taken on, what you've added, and begin to let go of that, right? You've added this stuff on. No, you you need to get rid of that. But in the shadow side, you've already gotten rid of this, which is a part of your authenticity, you need to bring those back to the party. Do you follow me? So the part you added 
we need to get rid of. The part you subtracted, we need to bring back. Now, the question becomes, how do you know what your persona is and what's in your shadow? Because you, you have to take it on faith that you do have a persona. You became a little boy or girl in order to survive your early adulthood. And you didn't know you were becoming that little boy or girl. And you still are that little boy or girl to this day, unless you've done some serious work. Okay. So it's there. You just have to take it on faith. And you also have taken on faith that you have buried part of yourself in the basement. You have cut off parts of your body that got you punished or didn't get you noticed and threatened your very survival. You have done this. So you got to just take that at face value. And if you do, then the question becomes, oh, what is my relationship persona? What is that fear-based phony way that I am behaving in the world in order to get people to like me and love me and want me? Okay. I want to let that go and show up authentically because you never can relate in a healthy way if you're relating as a persona. It's not really who you are, right? So it's going to create all kinds of drama. So you want to know what the persona is, but you also know, well, what's the part of me that I got rid of? Because I want to be a whole complete person. And so I want to regather. So how do I, how do I discover my, what my persona is and what, what's in my shadow? Well, I won't spend too much time on the persona because I've done lots of podcasts on this. But the basic way you discover what your persona is, is by noticing the types of partners you attract. Right? So if you've adopted a way of being in order to succeed or get attention or affection, like when I became Roy the Rescuer, my mommy issue, right? The way I felt close to my mother is if I made my life be about taking care of hers. And I kept doing that throughout my life until I woke up to it. Well, the way I really discovered what my persona was, was because I kept attracting damsels in distress. I had a knack for attracting women who were just overwhelmed and, and kind of you know, they had busy lives, busy corporate jobs, making a lot of money, really busy schedules. And they were single mothers and they were just overwhelmed and they just had so much going on. And they were just, oh my God, it just did so much. And then here I come with this bent toward, I will make my life be about taking care of yours in exchange for your attention and affection. Oh my God, what a great fit we were. So if I'm a rescuer, I'm going to attract damsels in distress. That makes sense? So the way you know your persona is in the patterns and the type of partners that you attract. So if you keep attracting narcissists, that's because you've got a real empathetic or empath persona. And I know the word empathy and empath is usually thought of in terms of you know, it's a good phrase. It's good to be an empath. It's good to be empathetic. Uh, yes and no, right? The empath absorbs everything around them. They're so in tune with everybody else. They're so unselfish. They're so, it's about you and, 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 and they're feeling your feelings and they're feeling your pain 
empaths can vacate themselves or not take themselves seriously, not value their own feelings and their own wants, they can be in a way, in a bad way, they can be unselfish to a fault. Well, that person fits great with narcissists, right? Because the narcissist is the one that, oh, it's about me. Life is, they're all self-absorbed, right? So a person who's very self-absorbed needs to find a partner who is not self-absorbed at all, maybe even less than self-absorbed. They go together like cookies and milk, right? So the empath and the narcissist go together. So the way you discover your persona is is by looking at the patterns that you get yourself in and the types of partners you attract, okay? Now, how do you discover what's in your shadow? And this is going to blow your mind and you're not going to like it and you're going to argue with me and you can, that's okay. Um, what I'm going to share with you is this is not something I'm making up. This is common psychological principles. These things were first, I think, verbalized by Carl Jung. He was a disciple of Freud. Okay? So what I'm saying is not Roy's wild-ass ideas about the human condition. Okay? <laughs> but the, the way that you discover what's in your shadow is because, again, remember the shadow, it's still in there. It's buried in there, right? It, it doesn't ever go away. It's still there. Is the way you discover what's in your shadow is by how things affect you on the outside. Meaning, anytime you see someone or something that just inspires the hell out of you, that you just like, you worship that, you love that, you're obsessed about that. So it's like, oh, that's so impressive. That just really moves me. I'm not just noticing something. Oh, that person's very kind and very generous. And yeah, okay, I noticed that. No, no, no. I'm not talking about you notice it. It's like, oh my God, you, it just completely lights you up on the inside. It inspires you. It touches you in the deepest way. What the shadow is in common parlance is if you spot it, you got it. Okay? That's how you know what's in your shadow. What really affects you from the outside, both positively and negatively. Ooh, ouch. We'll get to that in just a minute. If you spot it, you got it. That's what the shadow is. That's how you know what's in your shadow because You've buried it, but you're projecting it outward and you're seeing your qualities. These are qualities within you. You're seeing them in someone else and they're inspiring because that's a part of you. That's who you are, but you've disowned it. So when you get moved by someone in positive ways, I mean, really touched and moved. It's like, wow, awe inspiring. Then that must mean the qualities that they are exhibiting are true of you. And that's why you see them. And that's why they move you so much. Because if you spot it, right? Not just, I notice something. Oh, that person's angry. Okay. They're angry. No, whatever. Uh, pass the potatoes, right? When, when you spot something and it affects you and it pushes your buttons and inspires you and just makes you feel open. It's like you worship 
That's because those qualities are true of you, but you've disowned them. And so relationships are mirrors. That person's showing you a part of yourself. They may be very great at what they're doing. They may be awesome in what they're doing, right? So we're not saying that what they're doing isn't fantastic. What we're saying is they may be who they are and doing what they are, but the reason it so inspires you is because if you spot it, you got it. You've disowned that part of yourself. So you can look at the things that positively impact you, that inspire you, that move you, and you can say, well, I must have that quality. I must, that must be true of me. It might not mean that you have the same artistic ability, right? But what it might mean is you've disowned your own creativity. And when you see somebody else being creative, it's like, oh my God, I'm just, I'm, I'm moved to tears by their creativity. Well, the reason is, is because you are projecting your own creativity onto them. And that's why it's touching you. Okay. Everyone loves to eat that part of your shadow, right? Everybody's, oh, I want to take that part of my shadow back. I want to own my creativity. I want to own those wonderful qualities that I've disowned and that I see in other people, right? Everybody wants to eat that part of their shadow. Everybody wants to dig up that dead body from the basement, right? Because it's a positive thing. But if you spot it, you got it. And so the other side is equally true. The stuff that really pisses you off. The qualities and the characteristics that just drive you insane. Again, not something that you notice, but something that moves you. Something that disgusts you. Something that makes you want to puke. Something... The things that you hate in other people, if you spot it, you got it. Don't turn the podcast off. Don't. Don't. (laughs) Because right now you're thinking about people and situations that you hate. But the psychological principle is if you spot it, you got it. That like the reason it so affects you negatively that you hate it, it disgusts you, it's horrible. The reason is, is because you have disowned that part of yourself and you're projecting it out into them and you're seeing it on them and you're hating it in them because you hate it in you. Now, this doesn't mean that the person you hate or you're, or something you're disgusted by, it, that doesn't mean that they aren't disgusting. Or the situation isn't horrible. But what it means is that quality that you see in them is true of you. Now, you might not buy this. You might love the, if you spot it, you got it when it's positive things. But you might not be too inspired by the negative stuff if I spot when I see politicians. When I see people in Hollywood, other famous figures. I see cultural issues going on, things that disgust me, things that 
get me so fired up. Things that I that make me have big reactions. The reason why you're reacting is because if you spot it, you got it. Now, this is really hard to swallow. So, you might not be buying me on this. So, I'm going to read you a quote from a guy named Ken Wilbur. Do you know who Ken Wilbur is? Ken Wilbur, and I'm not exaggerating, is the Einstein of spiritual personal development. He's the Einstein of psychology, of personal growth, of spiritual development. He, he's brought, his IQ probably is like 170. The guy is an absolute genius. You talk to any personal growth teacher, I don't care if it's Tony Robbins to Eckhart Tolle, and they will tell you Ken Wilber is at a level of understanding and personal evolution and intellect like no other person. He's still alive today. I think he's around 70. He's written dozens and dozens of books. Um, and he has really, because of his intellectual ability to study the spiritual dynamic, the personal growth dynamic, he has really laid out the intellectual underpinnings for a spiritual life, right? He, he's, He's really taken the woo-woo out of it and given a rational, intellectual, scientific person all the reasons in the world to become spiritual, to be, you know, interested in consciousness and mindfulness and to be on this personal growth path. So he's that brilliant. Um, let me read you from his book called No Boundary. This is what he said. Items that bother us, upset us, repulse us, or at the other extreme, attract us, compel us, obsess us. These are usually reflections of the shadow. As an old proverb has it, I looked and looked and this I came to see that what I thought was you and you was really me and me. I looked and looked, and this is what I came to see, that what I thought was you was really me. He goes on to say that we hate people because we say they are dirty, stupid, perverted, immoral. They might be exactly what they are, what we say they are, or maybe not, but that is totally irrelevant, however, because we hate them only if we ourselves unknowingly possess the despised traits ascribed to them. We hate them because they are a constant reminder of aspects of ourselves that we are loath to admit. Oh my God. Oh my God. The ramifications of that are life-changing. I'm going to read it to you one more time. It's irrelevant whether they are what we think they are or not. It says, because we hate them only if we ourselves unknowingly possess the despised traits ascribed to them. 
We hate them because they are a constant reminder of aspects of ourselves that we are loath to admit. And he goes on and says, and often it appears in cosmic form, a comic form. The interminable gossip about everybody else that, you know, that tells you much more about the gossiper than about the object of gossip. But all of these instances of individuals desperate to prove that their own shadows, these are all instances of somebody desperate to prove that their own shadows belong to someone else, right? So he's saying, you know, that person that gossips about everybody else all the time, that's telling you way more about them because what they spot, they got. What they're yapping about is actually true of them, okay? So try that one on. So do I dare give an example? Do I do I dare? I, I'm going to because I'm freaking nuts. First, I'm going to give you an example of me, okay? A couple years ago, I was watching the, the Women's U.S. Open. It might have been in 2018, and Serena Williams was playing, and she got, you know, when you're playing professional tennis, your coach can't help you during a match. And if the coach does help you, even from the stands by giving you hand signals or verbal cues, you can get penalized. Well, that's what happened. The judge thought that Serena Williams was getting help from her coach's corner in the stands. And she penalized uh, Serena a game. And it, it, it cost her a game in the match. And Serena lost her mind. You can, you, you, can, you, you can YouTube it. 2018 U.S. Women's Tennis Open. Serena, I think she broke, broke her racket. She started yelling at the judge. She played the race card at the judge. I mean, she lost her fucking mind. She was, in my mind, she was acting like a petulant little two-year-old that wasn't getting her way, right? Little two-year-old at the grocery store, I want this, I want this, and just screaming and throwing a temper tantrum, right? She was throwing a temper tantrum. That triggered the shit out of me. I just, and I put something on Facebook, something to the effect of Serena is one of the best athletes, maybe the best athlete in any sport of all time. But I have lost all respect for her. It, the way she behaved was just unconscionable and and I've lost all respect for her. Okay, so I posted that. And my coach, bless her heart, even though I haven't worked with her directly, I still talk with her periodically, but my coach follows me on on Facebook, Diana Chapman. She, she follows me. <laughs> and all she wrote is she's like, Roy, it sounds like maybe you have um, X'd something out of your awareness when you notice Serena. Okay? What she basically said is, hey, Roy, if you spot it, you got it. Are you waking up to that, Roy? Like, do you know why she's, she pissed you off so much? Why you're reacting the way you did? Right? And so she, she posted that on my thing. And I argued with her. I'm like, no, I haven't X'd anything out. She's a petulant little two-year-old and, and just blah, blah, blah. And, and so I got defensive, which is, what, <laughs> which is what we all do sometimes when someone um, 
challenges us to notice a part of ourselves that we we have disowned and that we're projecting onto someone else. And But I thought about it for a while, a few minutes, and I was like, all right, let me see if I can isolate this. So she was, Serena was acting like a petulant little child. Huh. Do I have a petulant little child in me? Do I ever lose it and sort of go crazy and act the fool and lose my temper and just be a little baby? And the minute I asked myself that question, it was like, oh, Jesus. Oh, God. Dude, you did that the other day. What are you talking about? You do that all the time. You are Serena. And that's why she pisses you off because you haven't owned that part of you. You haven't loved your petulant little two-year-old temper tantrum self. You've disowned that. You Probably because when I was little, I couldn't do that and get away with it. I, nobody would hear me and understand and give me any space to lose my mind. I probably got beat for that or punished for that. And so I lost the ability to be authentic, to be mad, to, to, to have a temper tantrum. Right. I, I, that, that aspect of my personality was threatening my basic needs for survival, getting my needs satisfied and being seen and succeeding. So, okay. So survive in this family and I can't ever do anything like that. So it doesn't mean that I, you know, got rid of that part of myself. No, I just buried that, the petulant little child. I just buried him. And then he was coming out in my life periodically, but I didn't even notice it until Serena, bless her heart, just acted it out. And the reason I got so disgusted by it was because I got that in me too. I got that in me too. So I was, I had the opportunity right then and there to eat that part of my shadow. Roy, can you own that you got a petulant little child in you? Now, that doesn't mean I get to play the fool and act like a, a bum, but I get to say, you know what? I got that in me, which makes me have compassion for Serena, which makes me understand Maybe if I was coaching her, I might want to talk to her about that. You know, there's better ways of expressing yourself and blah, blah, blah. But the moment that I see that that's true of me, now it, how can it bother me that she's doing it? Wouldn't that be the height of hypocrisy that I act like a petulant little child periodically and then when she does it, I'm going to crucify her on social media, right? The point is, if you spot it, you got it. And again, I want to underscore, it's not just something that you notice. It's something that really affects you, either positively or negatively. So your turn. Before I give you, and I might not even do it, um, I want to ask you, what is it in the world that just absolutely fires you up? that disgusts you, that you think is immoral and horrible and what person, what situation 
Is it racism? The only way that you would have this unbelievable reaction to racism, because racism does exist, is if you have disowned your own racism. The only way that you would have this reactivity to it. You've disowned your own racism. Once you eat that part of your shadow, it doesn't mean you won't work to end racism, but you won't work with it from this reactionary, you're horrible, you're the enemy, you're the worst person in the world, you disgust me. You'll say, no, um, I can relate. I, I have to own that I, that I can be racist. I, I have that in me. I've seen that in me. And so now I can work with it. Now I can maybe advance race relations. So who in the world is your Serena Williams? Who is the person or the situation that just makes your blood boil? That just, that, that gives you this huge, huge reaction. Can I give you a name? How about Trump? Just one word. All I got to say, a lot of people really, really hate Trump. If you spot it, you got it. Meaning there are certain qualities of Donald Trump that you see. And the only reason why they get that kind of reaction out of you is because you have that quality in yourself, but you've disowned it. And once you own that, doesn't mean you're going to vote for Trump or not. I mean, it doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that Trump isn't X, Y, or Z. Because Trump could be someone, really for a lot of people, maybe half the country, Trump is an inspiration. Trump is that person that you worship. It's like, oh my God, I just... I love the way he talks. I love what he stands for. I love what he's about. And so you have this real positive reaction to Trump. Well, that's because he is embodying some qualities that you have within yourself that you've disowned. You're seeing something in Trump. If you spot it, you got it. But it goes the other way. That if you hate Trump and just, just again, not that, no, I don't care for Trump. I'm not going to vote for him. Um, you know, he, he, you know, I don't, I don't think he's a very healthy guy psychologically. He doesn't, he doesn't drive me nuts. He just, I just not going to vote for him. I hope he doesn't win. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this real reaction that every time I see that guy, I want to throw something at the television kind of thing. And maybe what you don't like about him is that he's a bully, that he's narcissistic that maybe he doesn't tell the truth? And are you willing, are you willing that if you, if, if you see those qualities, if you spot it, you got it. Is there a bully in you? Come on now. Is there a narcissist in you? Can you be a little self-absorbed? Do you uh, monkey with the truth every so often to get what you want? Come on now, right? So this is shadow work. You, you, you want to 
identify your relationship persona, the part, the fake part of you that you've put on in order to get attention and affection. And then you want to bring back the parts of you that you cut off because if I, if I admit that those things are true in me, and again, if there's a bully in you, if there's a racist in you, if there's a lying part of you, that, that doesn't mean you let that run wild, right? I own my petulant little two-year-old, but that doesn't mean I get to go be a jackass. It just makes me say, okay, that's a part of me. You know, all things are a part of me. I see, I see Trump's good qualities in me. I see Trump's bad qualities in me. I see the good things of, of Tiger Woods in me. And I see some of the bad stuff of Tiger Woods in me. Because Tiger, both. He's my favorite athlete in the whole world. He's an inspiration. But he's done some things that are like, oh, Jesus, Tiger. Wow. Right? Some disgusting things he's done. Right? But, but I, I, I've done enough work to see that all everything's true of me. It's all true of me. I'm loving and kind and generous and I can be a bully and I can be selfish and narcissistic and there's a racist part of me and there's a, 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 a totally compassionate, loving of all people side of me. It's all here. I just want to own all of it. That everything that exists in the universe exists in me. And I don't want to X out anything. And every time I find myself really reacting to something... I'm like, oh, Roy, there's a, what are they showing you that you have disowned in yourself? So you get to use these people that inspire you or disgust you as teachers because you're noticing it to such a degree that they are showing you a part of yourself that you are not owning and taking responsibility for and dealing with. You've buried it. And I just maintain to be the healthiest version of you, to, to be a great partner, you need to let go of your personas and you need to eat your shadow. That's how, that's how you function in a way. It's how you become the most compassionate, non-judgmental, patient, understanding, loving, kind, generous person that you can be. When you look at anyone and say, yeah, I, I can relate. I got that. Okay? Again, it doesn't mean you don't work with it. It doesn't mean you let that part of you run wild and do horrible things. You just understand it in you. You see it in others. You see that everybody is doing and being what they're doing because they're trying to survive. They're trying to get their needs satisfied. They're trying to be a success. It's like, oh, ah, you're doing the same shit I'm doing in your way. And thank you for doing it in the way you did it that inspired me or disgusted me because it's, it's allowing me to see myself with greater self-awareness. And the more self-aware you are, the more that you can let go of your personas and eat your shadow, the, the more grounded, the more healthy and psychologically functional you are as a person in the world and therefore you are going to be the best parent. You're going to be the best coworker. You're going to be the best friend and you're going to be the best lover. So 
I would love to hear what you think about this. <laughs> um, you know, let it rip. If you if you've got a problem, or if you're inspired by this, or if you want to follow up, right? Um, again, almost every the end of every podcast, I say, listen, these are deep things that you might need support in. You might need to work through this with someone to guide you, to sort of walk with you as you as you kind of own the wonderful parts of you that you have you have disowned. And as you have the humility to, to reintegrate the parts of you that you have X'd out of your awareness, which by the way, when you exit out of your awareness, when you disown it, it it's they come back to bite you. They they come out passively aggressively. They they will they these parts of you will come out at the worst time. They're like gremlins. They, you know, your shadow does not like to be a shadow. It doesn't. The parts of you that you've disowned don't like to be disowned. Don't do that to us. You will not get away with it. And so they they form a mutiny every so often, and they will come out, and they will really sabotage you and mess you up like it happened to Serena. You just it's gonna it's gonna come out of you. So all right, follow up with me. If I can help with these things, right, my email address is Roy at coachingwithroy.com and my phone number is 407-687-3387. So until next time, may I ask you, did you see your shadow on Groundhog's Day? You've been listening to Attracting Lasting Love with Roy Biancalana. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with anyone you think might benefit from listening. Check out our website at coachingwithroy.com and tune in every week for more insights and wisdom on creating healthy, lasting, conscious relationships.